20. Episode 20. 20. 20. 20. 20. 20. 20. Episode 20. We're in the two zeros. This is quite amazing. That's 20 weeks have gone by in a blink of a flash. That's amazing. I am your host, Rebel Zen, aka Danny Hale. And if you've just come in from YouTube, yay! Welcome to SoundCloud. We've just done our opener, our pre-show, our third out of uh, six set. It sounds like a tennis score or something. <laughs> and I am here, thank God, because he hasn't disappeared or run off, even though it got a bit got a bit philosophical towards the end there. Um, I am here with the Unicorn Slayer, Pete. Say hello. Hello. These chains are keeping me here. That is true. You have been uh, <laughs> sanctioned, I would say, to not leave until the podcast is done. Yep. And I am here with our very philosophical uh, feeling. She's slept since the last time and she's trying to blow our minds. Our producer, Winifred Mark, say hello. Hello. <laughs> now, I will give a disclaimer. It could get a bit philosophical, this discussion about history and defunking history itself. Uh, because what do we know? That's what Wynn was trying to say after. No, all I'm saying is... <laughs> No, it's okay. Go grab a cup of tea, guys. Basically, (laughs) if you've seen the YouTube, you saw how it ended. It was quite dramatic. Um, We're going to move on from that. We will bring up some of the points that Wynn was saying. I'm just saying, don't take everything for granted. Question everything. Exactly. That's what she's really... What she's saying is... Why would I question everything? Watch it. Good. Good work. <laughs> or watch this. Watch just, just because someone says something doesn't mean it's true. Okay, so for the right context, because I'm trying to give context to this, you see. Best to check YouTube. Do that right now. If you haven't, uh, you're going to miss out on certain things and be like, what the heck are they talking about? But everyone who's listening from around the world, who's been supporting us for all of these 20 weeks, thank you very much. It's great that you're back. Hopefully we can entertain you rather than blow your brains out with (laughs) factoids. So I wanted to pick up where we left off on a point that uh, Pete was making. uh, Well, I sort of introduced and Pete finished off very well about the pyramids. It's funny about Egypt because we're living in time of feminism, aren't we? We're, We're getting conscious about feminism and that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. And I think the Egyptians were the first feminists. Because uh, they've got a lot of mommies and no daddies. I'm just saying. I thought you were making a serious point there. <laughs> well, it's semi-serious. <laughs> and also, when you think about it, they had a lot of crazy cat people in Egypt, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. A lot of them were like worshipping them as gods. Yeah. So Egypt was full of old, lonely women. Is yeah, that what you're trying to say? It's very true. And a lot of their gods were named after noises, like Ra. <laughs> yeah. He was the precursor to Turah. So it's not all mummies, because he was a sun god. He was a sun yeah, god. Yeah. He was a sun god of God. Yeah. God. Anyway, that's fantastic. Egypt's a fascinating thing. and uh, mm-hmm. But you say, you, you actually say, you know, first feminists. There is a point there, because they had female rulers, mm-hmm. which is something you don't find that often over history. Yeah, and especially in our mass classes here, where they're just unisex. Yeah, yeah. Our rulers uh, are measuring sticks. But um, anyway, yeah, no, you are right. I think (laughs) it's important. But China as well, classically had a lot of uh, very important female characters in their history or our interpretation of history. Because let's be honest, after Wynn put in a segue, we don't know anymore, do we? (laughs) Everything I learned was a lie. Yes. Well, actually, I want to put it out there. There's a lot of science of history. So there's a lot of trying to, again, I was pointing on that topic of there's an age right now of trying to... um, prove 
what we know. And it's funny because actually because the internet, one thing I'm finding is there's a lot of, um, if you don't use Wikipedia as your main source of intelligence because you shouldn't, it's open source, it can be changed. I often change in the mid, uh, middle of the night uh, just to mix it up. Like saying Elvis Presley was originally here in the uh, 17th century, uh, but he was under a different name. Uh, Billy Bob Jackson, his name was back then. You get these people having wiki wars, so they keep trying to change it back to something else. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's really interesting because, yeah, I was joking, but that was serious. Well done. So you've brought us back to severity. <laughs> um, that's good. But open I'm source. In a serious sort of <clears throat> Yeah, mind, open source stuff. Although it has editors, although it has people watching it to make sure you don't <laughs> change it too much, there is a case where you can go on Wikipedia and look for something, especially in the lesser-known things, mm. like in certain origin points of history or when there was a certain creation, and you'll go back to it a couple of months later and it'll all be different. So there is a lot of theory, but there's not a lot of facts. So you've got to be careful with that. However, the internet is a great resource to start looking into, um, you know, you you can deduce your own timelines, you Mm -hmm. can start stockpiling bits of information from things, and also work with um, national uh, history organisations. We have the National Trust in the UK, there's uh, Heritage in the USA, Mm -hmm. every country sort of has that kind of a thing, if they care about their history, if they're trying to cover their history up, that's a whole (laughs) different story. Um, but obviously everything's reformed and changed and we're evolving and we're in a time of great history right now where mm. our ancestors are going to be like, what are they doing? This is all mad. But to be fair, with the way things are now, at least they're going to know everything. Mm. Whereas we've we've got, you know, the odd bits of paper or well, a lot of it was the monks yeah. recording history, but a lot of that's been lost. Well, it was the monks. we're not 100% you, sure. You are happened. right. And it's a good segue. It wasn't just the monks in uh, Europe. It was monks in Asia as mm. well. But you've also, and the Middle East and everything like this. Um, it's interesting because monks and scholars are very mm. closely linked. Yeah. It's almost the path of a philosophical path or an educational path where you're basically questioning everything, you know. Yeah. Too much time on our hands. It's kind of interesting because you said that we don't know much about, you know, the past because we don't have the sources. And yet I feel like the people in the future, when they look at our current history they're going to see, say, let's say uh, their source is what we have on the internet. Everything on the internet isn't everything in the world. You Mm. see, it's only like a peephole into our current situation. Well, it's also that... um, So it's limited to to an extent. It's it's also that if you can imagine just your own life, if Mm -hmm. you can map your own life out, your perception of what you're living isn't the perception that someone around you Mm -hmm. is living with you. So... Pete and I go to a shop, and the, the experience that we go to that shop with, I get up in the morning, I do my thing, that's my own private show, you split screen this for a second in your mind, I do my thing, Pete does his thing, we meet at the shop, and then that's the shared thing, but we don't know the story of how we got to the shop, exactly. I don't know if Pete's seriously uh, in part-time a serial killer, <laughs> and before he went to the shop, he was burying his bodies in the garden, and then he gets to the shop, you know, we <laughs> of unicorns. I have yeah, to put it out yeah, there. Yeah. It's only unicorns. He doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't maim or kill anything else. So basically, just in that, you can see there's two takes of the same meeting. Event. You see, and that's a simplistic. That, argument. That, that's actually the kind of narrative I like in movies. You know, mm. when they suddenly flip the story and it's like the same event, but you see an entirely different, you know, view of it. Yeah. Um, so what you got is it's basically like it's interesting, but the time that we're in. 
one thing that I'm finding quite stunning about the time we're in is how fact and fiction are, are weaving. They did that thing a couple of years ago with Back to the Future, the movie. Mm. And I'm throwing yeah. that out there because we actually nodded to it in the latest episode of Project FIA, which is on, on Amazon Prime. We're just going to be senseless plugging <laughs> all the time. Episode three, history. Yeah. And basically, like, you get a slight nod to that. We have to be very slight because of copyright. Um, <laughs> but we're trying to promote it because the idea of Back to the Future is one of these things that's been quite fascinating where their topics, especially with Donald Trump uh, being president, get so close to reality. It's almost like something I wanted to say about science fiction becoming fact as mm-hmm. well, where you have like Star Trek gadgets are now widely available as cell yep. phones and before long your phone's going to be able to phase someone in the face. How creative people influence the world just by putting that idea into people's heads. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's that fiction becoming fact mm-hmm. and hopefully we won't live in a matrix, but we might. <laughs> and if we do, it's not real, everyone, in the future that's <laughs> listening to this here podcast. Unplug, unplug. Yeah. So Go and see gonna, the guy with the pills. Well, what I thought would be really <laughs> cool in this podcast is to actually tell people the current situation and world so that in the future, this podcast episode could be like a time capsule. And therefore, I'm going to tell you the current state of the world, especially in our town. There's a lot of 10-foot monsters. It's crazy. We want to get out of here. They're all robotic. I really wish we hadn't invented them. The AI is out of control. EA Sports went mad one day and started creating these robots at 10-foot. I wish it would be different. How about you, Pete? I just like the idea that in the future, they're going to be listening to this in classrooms as a source material. This they is could a be. first-hand source, guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Reliability. Lit- we can literally see them out the windows. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know how the uh, plague of 10-foot monster robots is going to stop. Hopefully Godzilla will help us, but Japan seems to have him on lockdown, and it's that Pacific Rim sort he, of area. He committed uh, petty theft, so he's uh, inside for a bit. Is he? Yeah, yeah. Well, he's, he's, a, he's a silly iguana. He is. So, um, what I want to say is, like, if you are listening in the future... I mean, everyone in the present, you're listening in the present, and you know the monstrosities that are walking the earth right now, at least in Birmingham, the UK. Maybe you've got a different life in uh, Zambia or something. Where are you from? I don't know. You're not telling me because you can't talk back to me. In the future, that'll be different. In the future, we'll have a podcast and everyone can talk to you while you're doing it. You it's it's called it. a conference call. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. That's kind of how it works. Yeah. yeah. So when you were talking about the Tudors... Yes. <laughs> How sensible was that? There's a segue for They didn't have 10 foot robots, did they then? Uh, No, but Henry VIII um, tried to uh, pretty much be one. Did he? Yeah. In the fact that he was huge. He was, huh? And wanted to stamp on everyone. He was a a big lad. Well, he was towards the end. He actually, he was a great athlete in his youth. Oh, really? Say athlete, I don't mean the way we were now, (laughs) obviously. Um, Jousting and the melees and all that. He was he, he was fantastic. It's only when he got older. That's intriguing. Ooh. I never knew that part of him because I didn't dig too deep. I obviously know the rudimentary stuff yeah, that yeah. we taught in high school. But it, it's funny because that that would make him a jock, wouldn't you say? Pretty much, yeah. Which is possibly the explanation of why he had so many smegging wives. <laughs> well, there was um, there was a study recently looking at historical figures. To figure out if they were psychopaths. Oh, right. In the technical sense of the word. Yeah, um, like the psychological. Yeah. 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 And uh, they decided that, yes, Henry VIII definitely was. Mm. Yeah. Well, he, he had a few issues. 
Yeah, he wanted to divorce his first wife. They wouldn't let him, so he thought, I'm going to make my own church. Well, it's actually an interesting crossover <laughs> to last week's conversation yes, it is, yeah. because yeah, yeah. Henry VIII freed the UK, well, from Rome. England, he freed it from the Catholic grip from the Vatican. Yep. And started the Church of England, which was predominantly what we're now in. Well, the Queen is still the head of the Church yeah, of, of England. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's interesting about that time and that era is that he separated from the faith that was very uh, intense and still is intense mm-hmm. Roman Catholic sensibility. And as Eddie Izzard, the great Eddie Izzard has put out there in the past, and if you're listening Eddie Izzard, we're a big fan. And uh, <laughs> just a bit quick nod, because uh, he's getting quite politically active. This is a bit of a segue. Um, I think that's amazing. And Godspeed to you. What an amazing life that guy's had. So... Mm-hmm. Basically, with Henry VIII, it's interesting because you've got that conflict. And this is, I think, what Wynne's point was about how history can change and the perception can be different. Most people are, are living in the UK right now who are following the Church of England. And let's be honest, the majority of that is an older age range than us. Yeah, There are people of our generation in it, but it's a lot mm-hmm. less. Numbers are dropping. And they are throughout Europe radically. And I think what's important is that Henry VIII had changed the religion of England, created his own secular version of Christianity, essentially, so he could divorce. It was a selfish agenda. Oh, yeah, not just that. Soon afterwards followed the the, uh, dissolution of the monasteries, which were obviously Roman Catholic. Mm. And the amount of money that that put into the country through, you know, selling all their treasures, all the buildings and everything, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Funded the wars with Spain... Yeah. Etc. Yeah. And it's it's interesting because it lasted a, um, into his daughters, right? Elizabeth I as well. Elizabeth the, was the, a lot more temperate when it came to religion. It was that kind of, um, if you want to be a Catholic, go for it. Just don't shout about it. That was more Elizabeth's view on it. Yeah. I, I meant the money cost. Though. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, the money, yeah. the money lasted in the monarchy for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And it does show you that um, because... You can't really have history, especially in Europe, without looking at the religious uh, landscape. Of course. So there is uh, these three topics in the series. When we approach Project FIA on on Amazon Prime now, go and watch it. (laughs) Um, Basically, uh, when we approached that, we we knew that the first three topics were kind of deliberately going to run into each other. Mm. And the challenge for us as creators was how do you separate them? And how do you avoid the topics altogether? <laughs> which I think we did. We did well. very well. Yeah, we did pretty good yeah. at. Um, but it's interesting about um, with the religious context because what I find fascinating um, in Europe, the, the religious overtones basically rule our history. Really, mm-hmm. a lot of our wars were through religious wars. A lot of it was through the Crusades. A lot of it mm-hmm. was through this, that, and the other. Um, when you go to the U- U.S. One thing that I find really fascinating is that the military is quite linked to history. Mm-hmm. Um, when we were in Los Angeles, uh, there's a place sort of near downtown, which is Little Tokyo. And we spent a lot of time there. I don't know why. Because we liked it and we wanted Japanese food. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but basically, in Little Tokyo, there's um, a Japanese-American center, which is about the original settlers of that area, mm. as well as time through the unfortunate situation in World War Two, and all of these events and the community and all of this stuff but it's actually literally in association not with a heritage centre like we would have like National Trust it's literally in conjunction with the military 
meaning that the military are the only ones with the documents that can give a museum yeah, its yeah. resources, which is terrifying to me yeah. looking at it. Because, so it's almost like the history is militarized. Yeah, or, or it's military resource. controlled, you can controlled, argue. Yeah. And uh, you don't... Look, anyone who's listening in America, I don't want to put it out there like to start a conspiracy or anything like this. You've got enough of your own anyway. And if you want to... <laughs> you know, I actually wanted to bring one of them up, but I will do in a bit. But basically what it is, is it's quite disturbing. Maybe it's innocent, but to me it's quite disturbing, especially considering the the scenario uh, with Japan and America in World War Two. It just seems a little sketchy, if that makes sense. And I'm just putting it out there. I'm not trying to think about it too much. I think what it is, is if you go there, you just have to be aware that that's where it's coming from. That's mm. that's the perspective that history is being presented to you. Yeah. And is there another one that I can find to sort of match it up? Well, it's always, it's it's very interesting because I think on the, on the flip side, um, what you're also going to find is on the Iwo Jima site, in Japan, where a lot of bloodshed was, and it's a notorious site, really, in history, but they're trying to make it a monument now um, in, in modern day. But I think the Japanese approach would be a lot different. It seems to be in Asia, especially my dealings with Hong Kong, that history isn't necessarily governed with a narrative, whereas we in Europe govern our history of a narrative. You can't go to a historical monument without having picture graphics and, you know, a story about mm-hmm. the bricks that you're looking at and how it used to be a wall. You know what I mean? Like, there's uh, explanations and, mm. and paragraphs and pictures. Well, we saw a very interesting one in, um, I believe it was in Budapest in Hungary. Yeah. And it was a government-erected uh, World War II monument. But on the other side of the road, there was actually um, a protest. Mm. All right. Um, where a lot of Holocaust survivors had actually come along and left their personal artefacts and their stories, oh, basically that's... saying that the government is trying to whitewash their involvement. Yeah, and I, well, it's an, it's actually this is actually to Win's point. Um, mm. When yeah, when she blew minds on YouTube, um, <laughs> but basically it is that. What is really funny is like you've got these elements where I was going to say in Asia you'll have a historical monument. We live near like a really old one in Hong Kong and uh, dynasty period village. And the thing about the history in Asia is usually it doesn't come with flourishes. It doesn't come with narrative. It's, it just is. And it's like, this is what it is. This is the time it was there. Have a little investigation and see what life was like, you know, and you can, I think there's an optional um, tour guide option. There is a lot of people still living in these places which means it's never not been used, which is quite impressive. But there's actually a colonial house nearby. Mm. And even there, you don't get the garb. It's not selling you what it was or is. It's telling you this is literally basic fact. Make your own mind up. Well, not even make your own mind up. It's more like, here's a date. Yeah, here's a date. These people were here. This is what its purpose was, the end. There's Mm. no narrative. In a sense, it's quite boring then. Because you go there and you're like, oh, it's a building well yeah in a sense you're just literally walking around a building yeah but you get i think you get the interpretation of this is clearly a uh, work of how it was at the time therefore you know we we appreciate that but in as you've pointed out in um throughout europe you get a lot of protests there is a lot of political logic into holding back information mm-hmm. to try and like the UK I remember all of my life especially my father's generation stuff like this who came in right after the war we were raised into this feeling that we won the war 
and technically we didn't. Technically, it was uh, the European side of it was Russia that won it, really. You can argue through what we know. But we won the war in a sense that we didn't become victimized in the war. We saved our integrity. We saved our independence. But it's almost sold to us in our culture that we were the clear victors. We were bankrupt, you know. So it's, it's interesting to me how as you grow up, you start siphoning that out and going, well, that was a big change for the UK. That was when we lost the empire. That was when we lost mm-hmm. control. And it's when we founded the Commonwealth. It was a big liberating time, I feel. You know, so it's more like, it's an interesting period of history. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you travel through Europe and you see the different perspectives. Oh, it's fascinating. It is. Yeah. It's crazy fascinating. And it took me a long, long time because we were never taught about the truly negative well, aspects. Well, that's it. We learned it from our perspective yeah. in, in the UK. Um, when we were in, in Latvia, uh, in Riga, which is a fascinating place to visit. Hi to Latvia. Hi, Latvia. <laughs> if there's anybody out there. Of course there is. Mm. Yeah. Latvia is great. Anyway, yes, go on. <laughs> Because it's right, it's right on the border with Russia, and it's you know it's had its own history. Former Soviet-controlled, yeah, yeah, exactly. Don't say that to someone. No, 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 no. It's 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 not about. <laughs> you got to clarify. Mm-hmm. They were part of the Soviet Union, unwillingly, obviously, as most countries that were linked, like Ukraine, very controversial in our current day and age mm-hmm. because there's been wars in that region due to this. Yep. But when the Soviet Union collapsed, Latvia got its independence back, and it's a very proud. Nation. Well, that's one of the fascinating bits because ethnically um, they are pretty much split 50 50. Yeah. Ethnic Latvians and ethnic Russians yeah. um, that were obviously sent in to settle it. So you speak to you speak to the Latvians, obviously, they're extremely friendly, lovely people, very happy to be independent. Because it was only, I think it was 92. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They got independence. Recent, yeah. Um, but I was speaking to um, a girl who was brought up in Latvia, uh, was ethnic Russian. Mm. And, um, you know, we talked about being in Latvia and said, yeah, they got their independence in 92 or whatever. She's like, no, they've always been independent. Yeah. No, I think I think that's something The Ukraine's similar. I've got mm. a, many friends in the Ukraine, especially in California, and it's a similar sentiment, especially the young. You see, yes. the, the youth of anyone born from the 80s to the 90s, I mean, they didn't really have enough of the Soviet culture mm-hmm. to actually claim it as their own anyway. But I think the um, people of these countries were always, always very proud, and I don't think they ever considered themselves part of a of a bigger scope. Yeah, but yeah. they were, you see. Oh, yeah. That's the thing. It's a similar thing in um, in Italy. Whenever you have like um, it- Italy's had all of these issues, especially World War Two with the fascist party rising and Mussolini's control, there was areas in Italy that didn't reach. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people, it was all out of context. And then there are some areas of Italy, especially in the northern areas. And if you ever know, and it's a bit of a shout out, a fascinating guy who was one of the precursors, not only in bodybuilding, but also professional wrestling. Bruno Sammartino, who was world champion for years at a time. He kept the bout for years at a time. He was inducted into a Hall of Fame and he's actually a Holocaust survivor. Mm. Not in a sense of... In Germany, his parents were hunted down. He mm-hmm. had to live on a mountainside, escaping the, the the Nazis had taken over his town. They all ran into the mountains and had to survive for years mm-hmm. in the mountains without shelter or anything. And he survived that. He nearly died from all kinds of diseases and stuff. Mm-hmm. Got to America, thrived, and flourished, became who he is now. And it's 
his story is fascinating. If you don't care for wrestling, fine. But if you <laughs> want to have a genuine account of what things can be like mm-hmm. in that scope, he's someone who always tells his account. You can see it all over YouTube. Just type in Bruno Simantino and get his story. It's fascinating. I just wanted to throw that out there because it's... I love the war stories. I used to listen mm. to my granddads. Both my granddads were active duty in World War II and my father's dad was actually in the D-Day landings. So he had a very traumatic account of, of all of that. He was uh, he was driving the cars, all the territorial vehicles and stuff out there on, in, in Normandy and all of this. And it was quite amazing to hear his account. Then my other granddad was working the artillery guns on the south mm-hmm. coast of the UK and his stories, it, 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 the juxtaposition of their two accounts of the war is so crazy because my, my mother's father, he had never left the country. So my dad's dad was stationed. He was going all over the place, mostly in France. So my mum's dad, <laughs> my other granddad, there you go, he, when he was stationed, it was like Devon area, and he was telling us all of these funny stories like, yeah, we just grab anything and shoot it up in the sky. We ran out of artillery, you know, just grabbed a can and threw it in the gun and blew it up and then blah, 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 you know. And he was just saying that it was really happy times because it's like basically just firing things because you had to reach a quota yeah, yeah. to stop them coming over the sea. And it's a really, it's like it's like Ricky Gervais in the in World War II, you know. But it was so funny because he always linked to the kind of sitcoms of the time, Dad's Army and Blackadder and mm. all of these things. And my other granddad was dead serious about everything, you know. And we also in our family had my great uncle's um, wife's, some relative. I, I don't want to get this out of context, <laughs> but he's a POW in Japan. Mm. So he was a British soldier as a prisoner of war in Japan. And that story was intense. So I've had a lot of perspective, being the fact that my aunt is also from Japan, that perspective too, yes. My, um, my girlfriend's... Um, not sure of the exact relative. I believe it was great uncle or something. Yeah, um, and I think he was stationed somewhere around North Africa. Mm. Now, towards the end of the war, they went, as he put it, liberating the Greek islands, right? Because um, the Nazis had reached that far. Yeah, you know, you think about that and you think sounds quite dangerous. As it turned out, these islands had all kicked the Nazis out themselves. So wherever they landed, they just got extremely drunk and parted. Yeah. And you just think, that's fantastic. <laughs> sounds, sounds like normal. Um, it's the, the Ibiza of the time. Exactly. But it's, it's funny because the scope of the war, when you hear all of these accounts, you get a mm-hmm. tapestry of these accounts from every perspective. Yeah. It, it begins to give you a narrative that's very enriched. There is so much focus on the negative of World War Two, World War One, and any war, really. But yeah. when you start seeing how the world, it, in the extremities, how the world started to bond as well, when it all fell apart, the dust settled and we were left to rebuild from mm-hmm. it. The world really came together in a very impressive way. And it's quite interesting because I had uh, friends in, in America, Sicilian rooted, and their grandparents were stationed in Hong Kong. So we had this story to talk about all of these <laughs> New York Italian, you know, Sicilian immigrants had moved to New York. Shipped, shipped in Hong Kong, Kong. <laughs> and they're talking about Hong Kong like oh yeah the furniture's great you know so, and, and because we had a tactical that's pretty much why the British were there we had a tactical position in World War mm-hmm. uh, One, I think and then it, it uh, obviously 100 years but we always needed an eyes in Asia and at that time in World War Two, the Americans came straight into Hong Kong and established their own you know military lookout you can when you go to Hong Kong now all of the World War Two 
military bases are still state mm-hmm. they're up but no one uses them you go to the gold coast region and you'll see all of the bases and kids sometimes break in and make it a play area. <laughs> it's quite weird. But you'll see all of these old tents and the canvases from World War II. Oh, wow. it's, it's totally as it is. No one's just, they just like, left. They just left. Yeah. yeah, with a little note saying, yeah, we're, we're, we're off now. See you later. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do the cleaning, wash the yeah, pillows. Yeah. We'll be back. As, well, never. Well, a lot so, of the names of the places are also references, like Fortress Hill. Yeah. Is, you know. uh, well, you got the Arsenal Drive, Cannon, mm-hmm. almost Cannon Hill like here, yeah. you know. Which was named after the artillery guns mm-hmm. in Birmingham coming through, you know. But it's it is like you've got the Battery Avenue in Hong Kong, yeah, uh, and things like this, which are all like where they dragged the anti, you know, the anti-aircraft or naval weaponry or whatever up these hills. It's absolutely fascinating, really. Oh wow! And um, so much history just in names. Yeah, yeah. just in yeah. names. Yeah, like and incorrectly yeah. named but that's a whole different day <laughs> I wanted to just come into because I said there was actually a conspiracy that I think is really wrapping up trends in history if anyone's quite young listening to this show from around the world you will find a very confusing day and age that we're living in right now is that history is often told you're told some aspects and then literally within two weeks they make a discovery that unfringes everything. Like pretty much like we just said about the pyramids, really. Like there's this concept that we know everything about the pyramids, then there's a concept where we know nothing, and in that time we fill it all with aliens made them. Oh, and yeah. uh, we got little uh, tree men made them. And the ten foot robot monsters of this era, and it's yeah, yeah. we've got to be careful because they're listening. They made them. But realistically, you know, it's like Stonehenge, there's a lot of mythology around Stonehenge yeah. and how that was. Well, we've got no idea with that, have we? Well, I, I have my theories on that, but yeah, of course. I think it they, is what they it is. started scanning below the ground mm-hmm. as well and had new discoveries there. They did that with uh, the Easter Island statues, didn't they? The massive heads. Yeah. They eventually dug down to realise that There's it's the it's oh, entire yeah. body. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's sunk, yeah. It's interesting with Stonehenge. Stonehenge is... Um, there's a lot of things about Stonehenge that we could talk about. We could actually have an episode about Stonehenge, but I think one thing that they found quite recently was the catacombs. There was catacombs mm. underneath. But the concept of Stonehenge, the actual rock they used, is uh, heavy acoustic rock, which <laughs> means that you can stand in the centre of it and yell, and it will reverberate all around. So it's it's like surround sound. And they actually, uh, Jack Osborne and Ozzy Osborne had a series together where they travel the world on a bucket list mission where they're ticking things off. And their first stop was Stonehenge. And Ozzy gets into the centre and does the yelling and he's, he's just getting rotating sound. He's like, this would be an amazing venue. <laughs> you know, you don't even need, you don't even amp or nothing. And I think the point is with Stonehenge, there's so much we don't know about our Druid culture. Yeah. Because it's been literally wiped out. We've had several invasions since then and we don't know who the heck we are anymore. Um, yeah. <laughs> we're subcorrect. <laughs> we know, we know they existed. Um, but it's quite an interesting period of time, and I'm just going to throw this out. It's not quite what I was going for, but it will segue into it. But in that time, you've got the world looking at things in a very similar way. So this is a precursor on what became Wiccan, what became that kind of pagany mm-hmm. subculture of our own. In the UK, we had the Celtic tribes, and we also had whatever the heck we were. We don't really know. I think we were probably Celtic too. But the Druids were in that era. And it was a time where I think they were creating these stone circles as a way to track almost uh, astronomy. And it's very similar to something in China, which is in feng shui, like the baguang, the turtle format compass almost, which is a zodiac tool, you know. 
about reading energy. And I think that Stonehenge has that naturalistic reading energy mm. quota. Almost like in the same way a sundial works, but through the medium of wind direction and all this stuff. It could be for summoning 10-foot robot monsters, though, couldn't it? And we're just... That's our time that we're in. But one thing I wanted to say, because <laughs> well, I've just proven how you can change history. Um, <laughs> but one thing I wanted to say to the kids listening, it's very conflicting because you do have these these areas and that's why i think we're in a time of rediscovery possibly because we're questioning the original discoveries you know we have times and eras in this in human history where we we don't believe what we're told we have this generational renaissance of no i don't believe you yeah yeah and it's it seems to be a time like that but one thing that's fascinated me and i wanted to bring this up to the group because win probably will know nothing about this but you will pete there's a craze on YouTube. It started off with a few celebrities in the public eye saying things, alluding to this. But one of the biggest things in history that we, we all thought we'd evolved past and discovered is that the world is not flat. Oh, we, all saw, no. we all saw that we live in a spherical globe world. Yes. And nowadays they're bringing back the idea that the world is flat. Isn't that baffling? But I mean, it it does it, it. That's the right word. It does completely baffle me. It does, isn't it? That with the technical technological advances we've got, the way science has gone, we've been to the moon. We have pictures. If somebody is going to those lengths to keep everybody from knowing the world is flat, well, then there's something wrong with them. If you believe the world is flat, you need a bit of theory of knowledge education. <laughs> Well, to me, it's like I just wanted to make this point because I start seeing these clips, and there's many people out there, many podcasts, our rivals, and that that talk <laughs> about these discussions, but they never they never lead to a, a conclusive science. It's almost like everyone's passively trying to be so politically correct these days, mm. and it's like, well, everyone's opinion is valuable, so if you're going to tell me the world is flat, I'm not going to deny it, and. I want to put it out there for anyone who believes in this conspiracy. It only has weight when you haven't traveled, I mm-hmm. think. Because the minute you get into a plane, okay, yeah. and you look out the window and you see the curvature yeah. of the horizon, you can't deny that the world is a globe. Similarly, if you've ever been on a cruise ship <laughs> and you've done the world cruise, uh, my parents have had the fortune to do this. Um, in a rowing boat uh, it took them a while <laughs> I, I, for most of my life they weren't around because they were paddling across the ocean but they came back with beards even my mum, massive beard, down to her knees um, and basically don't laugh this is a tragic life I lived and basically what I can testify is the world is not flat Okay, it's impossible to be flat S- simple test find somebody else on the other side of the earth and say is it day over there? Well, and if it's day, they, both see, the thing is, Pete, they have these theories. They have a theory that the sun and the moon rise at the same time, but it's an extreme right and left. <laughs> they have these theories. You'll see on YouTube, and, and I'm telling everyone, you know, there are simple things. For example, gravity is one that you really need to understand that when we thought the world was flat, we hadn't left any country. We thought we lived in one plane of existence mm-hmm. and it was wherever we were. And it wasn't a universal thought because China never believed the world was flat. Never, 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 never. It was only Europeans that thought it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Native Americans never thought the world was flat. 
they didn't know that there was a world probably uh, <laughs> you know you've got to understand so when china mapped the world out pretty much before anyone pre-dynasty and all of this uh it was in the first dynasty when they did so they could clearly tell mm-hmm. you know this is where they link him with the thought of gravity everyone's playing with the idea of gravity it's literally an impossible theory that the world is flat so i want to tell this especially for the kids out there who can come across these crazy crazy people mm-hmm. who do sound convincing until they start riffing into like the weirdest thing ever like we've got this interstellar vortex that you can drop in and you go to Babylon and all of this stuff, which Babylon's the old name for Iraq, so good good job for yep. that. Their, their history is amazing. Um, so all I'm trying to do is say, no. I, that's where science can say, no, you're all a bit stupid to yeah, think that the world is I flat. I agree with that, yeah. So for the kids out there, don't buy into it. We do live in a big sphere. That's how it is. There's no more mystery than that. And... Yeah, we'll, we'll uncover Stonehenge after we deal with the 10-foot monsters that are rampaging in England right now. Mm. Yeah. Maybe they could be turned to help us uncover it. Maybe they're here to uncover it. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, on that note, what else can we tell everyone before we wrap this up about the uh, time that we're currently in for the future listeners of this podcast, which will be a curriculum, according to... Uh, who said that, <laughs> Pete? <laughs> yeah. This is going to be played in classrooms across the world. Yeah. Welcome yeah. to Old English. <laughs> Uh, Old English 101. This is uh, 2017. This is when English hadn't evolved to be beeps and squiggles. And I want to tell you that 10-foot monster robots are roaming the Earth. And what else? Big Satsumas. Huge, huge Satsumas. They're they're in charge of countries, though, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they are, yeah. Big Satsumas in charge of countries. And... um, No, we need someone else. We need someone else. Oh, meteorites that create chocolate. That's that's it. Meteorites You're, are made of chocolate. Meteorites are made of chocolate, and we uh, we, we told them that last time. Didn't we, we did tell yeah. them that, yeah, all the time before. Yeah, so twenty five robbers at your door. Um, so, and they found out that bones are actually made out of cheese. What? Cheese. That's right. Woven cheese. Yeah. yeah. Of, that's why rats nibble you when you're asleep. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Not to give and, anybody nightmares or anything. And also, if you ever uncover in the future, and we are talking to the future now, um, sorry everyone in the present, you're just going to have to close your ears for a minute. When we get to the future and you start seeing how we buried our dead in a shawarma position, we apologise for that. <laughs> it is quite weird, but we had a brief stint. We had an entrepreneur idea. We went to the Dragon's Den, uh, or the Shark Tank if you're in the USA. We pitched them the idea and they arrested us. So we're live in prison with uh, 10-foot robot security guards. Satsuma's running the office. All I'll say to the future now is that I hope Wolves actually win a Premier League title before Liverpool do. That'll never happen. We'll see and if that. that does happen, it'll be the end of the world. <laughs> Only if you're still here in the future, it's obviously not the end of the world and we've changed the world's name to Terry. Because yeah. it's a chocolate orange. It is. It's, by yeah. then it will be. Giant the way it's going, yeah. Yeah. So the, the meteorites hit the giant satsumas and create chocolate oranges? Correct. Yeah. I like and it. that's the end of all of the 10-foot robot monsters. Ah, there we go. There we go. And we also, I want to say to the future, you will be told that dinosaurs were made extinct. They weren't. They weren't. They were our pets. In this era, it's a big lie. They're trying to cover it up. Uh, we have pet T-Rexes, don't we? You're actually fairly close because some lizards are still related to dinosaurs. So, Especially the T-Rex that we yeah, have yeah. in our garden. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, can't get more related than that. So they all treat Jurassic Park's a real uh, film. It's an actual, it's a documentary. It's a live yeah. documentary that yeah. the BBC throughout. The conspiracy will be in the future because we've we've put our best druids at task and they've predicted this is that Jurassic Park will be told to you as a work of fiction, but it wasn't. It was fact. In mm-hmm. our lifetime, it actually happened. Yep. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to have to stop this madness, guys. History is what you make it. That's the end. The conclusion is, tell them, everyone, what is history, Winifred? You said it can be affected by knowledge, right? <laughs> Theory of knowledge. Yes. I think idiots was the word going through our mind then rather than that. Well, we are we are quite silly. <laughs> we may not know what the truth is in terms of history, but it's important to at least investigate. Indeed. And find out and not ignore it. Yeah. You know, because history is a very uh, important part of our identity and who we are and who we who came before us and, you know, what happened in the past. And so we can learn from our mistakes, hopefully. <laughs> and we all know that Pete's actually evolved from... Uh, what have you evolved on, mate? That's secret, that is. Thinking the world is flat. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and that's it for us. See you next week. It's over to win for the wrap-up. Don't forget to watch Project FIA on Amazon.co.uk and Amazon.com. Our YouTube channel is FIA Gets Tubed. Feel free to comment and also reach out to us on Twitter. Our handle is Project FIA.